If you have your Bibles with you today, I want you to turn to uh, the fifth chapter of the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're just going to be reading uh, a couple verses of Scripture. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, Eric and, and Lauren are going to have it on the screen for us. But if you'll stand with me all over the room, I do want to share a word with you today that the Lord has laid on my heart specifically for this day. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, I'm reading from the New King James Version. The word said, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all, say all, all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. I want to spend the next few moments, if I can, using scripture to justify a statement that I want you to leave here ringing in your ears today. And that is simply that Jesus cares. How many know that Jesus cares? If you will, lift your hands with me all over this room and let's go before the Lord one more time. Come on, lift your hands with me. Father, thank you for your word. God, we ask you for the next few moments that you would remove every hindrance that would come against this service. God, I pray that we would be still and we would be attentive and that there would not be a lot of disturbances going in and out unnecessarily. But Lord, that for the next few moments we would dedicate our time and our focus upon you and the word that you would speak to your people. So I ask you to move me out of the way. Let your Holy Spirit be increased within me. Lord, don't let me speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forth today in the demonstration and the power of your spirit. But most of all, God, we ask you to touch hearts and change lives today as only you can. Lord, and impact us today, Lord, with a word, with a revelation, knowing that regardless of what we may be facing or going through, Jesus cares. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. If you had asked me many years ago, what's the greatest truth that you have ever learned? Or what has given you the most comfort or the greatest revelation of God? If you had asked me those questions many years ago, my answer would probably be very different than it is today. But if you asked me those questions today, I could simply narrow my answer down to two words. And those two words are, Jesus cares. Now, it's a great comfort For us to know that no matter where we are in our walk with life, no matter what we may be going through, no matter what we may be facing, the eyes of God are always upon us. The eyes of God are always upon us and His compassion for us never fails. His eyes observe us constantly as we go about our daily lives. And I want to tell you this morning, it brings me great comfort and it should bring you great comfort to know that no matter what you're going through or what you'll ever face in this life, Jesus cares. Will somebody help me preach this morning? Anybody glad that Jesus cares? Now I want to tell you today that proof of that fact is found throughout the scriptures. All through this book, we'll find proof of the fact that Jesus cares. And I've chosen just a few of those accounts recorded in this scripture to share with you today. First of all, I want us to consider today the miracle of provision that we find in John chapter 6. Now, in John chapter 6, there were 5,000 men 
plus women and children. So possibly at least 10 to 15,000 people were gathered up on that mountain with Jesus and his disciples. Now, at the end of the day, Jesus did not want to send people away hungry because he had compassion on them. Can I tell you that today, in the church world, in the age that we live in, today there are a lot of people that go into churches hungry and seeking for something. Are you with me? But yet they may leave that church without being filled and without being satisfied with what God had for them. Can I tell you that Jesus had compassion on the people and at the end of the day, he did not want to send them away hungry. It was always Jesus' goal that we Send them away full. Can I tell you today that in the church, it should always be our goal. When men, women, boys, and girls come in that are hungry and they're seeking something. And maybe they have not partaken of the same thing that you and I have partaken of. But it should always be the goal of the church. If we don't do anything else, God let us send them away full. Let us send them away full. And Jesus turned to Philip. Philip was one of his disciples, and he asked Philip this question in John chapter 6 and verse 5. He said, he lifted his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread that these people can eat? He said this to test Philip because Jesus already knew what Jesus was going to do. I want you to remember that. Jesus already knows what Jesus is going to do. Always. So Jesus asked this question to Philip to test him. Now, it seems that sometimes we never fully know the miracles of God's compassion until we run out of and empty ourselves of our own resources. We always try to go to everything that we've got first. But the disciples still had some resources at this point. So when Jesus asked Philip this question, the first thing that Philip did, probably after he conferred with some of the other disciples, was to check the money bag. And he reached down in the money bag and he concluded that there was only 200 penny worth and that 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 amount of bread was not sufficient to feed everybody in a crowd this size. And even if they did have the money, what bakery was going to have 10 to 15,000 loaves of bread on hand at one time? So we find here that in the natural, it was impossible. And the crowd was too big. And the need was too great. But aren't you glad this morning that Jesus cares? I said, when the crowd looks too big, when the need looks too great, aren't you glad that Jesus cares? I'm glad that in this life sometimes we may walk through things and and it may seem like things are impossible. It may look like there's just no way out. It may appear that there's nothing we could do. Nothing could ever change the situation. But I'm glad to know this morning that the God that you and I serve he knows he's well aware he cares and with him all things this book says are possible to those that believe the crowd was too big the need was too great but Jesus cares and so in this story all of a sudden this little boy ran out of the crowd and Andrew took the disciple Andrew took this little boy to Jesus and he said There's a little boy here, John chapter 6, verse 9. He said, there's a lad here. 
And that boy's got five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? See, this boy, this young boy, and I want you to get a picture of this today, had probably been close enough to Jesus to hear him saying, these people are hungry. We need to feed them. And so he looked down at this little lunch sack that he had in his hand. And I can imagine him turning to his mama and daddy and saying, is it okay if I give these to Jesus? Would it be okay if I give these to Jesus? Mom and dads in the crowd today, I want you to think about how proud you are of your children when they do something that's considerate of somebody else, right? Because I want to tell you something. We're living in a day and time where people aren't teaching children to do something in, in consideration of somebody else. Wow, that's quiet. If you can't say amen, say oh me. That's what they taught me years ago. We're living in a time where we don't teach our kids to do something in consideration of somebody else. But when your kid does do something and they think about somebody else first, you ever seen a little toddler get a piece of candy or something and they take it and they offer it to you first because they love you so much or somebody else and it, you're just like, oh, it just melts your heart. I'm sure that's what happened with this mama and daddy when this little boy looked at his lunch sack and he said, mom and dad, do you think it would be okay if I gave this to Jesus? And mom and dad were probably thinking, oh, Oh, isn't that cute? Look how sweet that is. He wants to take his lunch and give his lunch to Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus is probably hungry since he's been preaching to the people all day long. He might appreciate those few loaves and a couple of fish for himself. So they were like, yeah, baby, that's all right. You can take that and give it to Jesus if you want to. And so this little boy came up to where the disciples were. I want to talk about that for just a minute because the disciples... We're supposed to be all the big players in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? They were the elite 12, if you will. They were the big players in the kingdom of God. And they were supposed to be willing to fight to the death for Jesus. They were supposed to be willing to go to Jerusalem. They were supposed to be profound in their beliefs. They were supposed to be the supreme example of faith in that society. But yet we find that the little boy tapped Andrew on the leg and he lifted his basket up toward him and he said, Here. And in his heart, that little boy was probably thinking, Man, what a day this is going to be. Jesus and I are going to feed this entire crowd. See, Jesus already knew what Jesus was going to do. Remember I said that a moment ago. But you know what Jesus is always looking for? This book teaches us that he does not operate outside the realm of faith. Are you with me this morning? He does not operate outside the realm of faith. There must be somebody in the crowd who has faith. There's got to be somebody in the crowd who's willing to believe the impossible. And even if Jesus had to take a little boy, see all the big players in the kingdom were sitting up there thinking, yeah, ain't this cute? That little boy's going to give Jesus his lunch. But what that little boy was thinking, oh, I've got something. It may not be much, but if I can just offer it to Jesus, Jesus and I are going to feed this crowd together. I came to tell you something today. Jesus is looking for some people who will have faith and who will believe that with God all things are possible. That's the simplicity of being a child. No wonder that Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 15, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child by no means 
will enter it. And in the original text, here's what it means. I want to break it down for you. This means that it is possible for a person to receive the gospel intellectually, but yet still dwell outside the power of God or the kingdom of God. That means that a person can know about the kingdom, they can hear the stories about it and the parables about it, but they're not yet living in the kingdom. Oh, I'm afraid today in this world that we find ourselves living in, there's a lot of people who know about the kingdom. There's a lot of people who sing about the kingdom. Are you with me this morning? A lot of people who might even preach or teach about the kingdom. But oh, are we really living in the kingdom? Jesus is looking for some people who will walk in that realm of faith and believe that with him all things are possible. And instead, the kingdom seems to slip away from a lot of people. But we got to become as a little child. We've got to recognize, here's a good one for you, our own unworthiness. My unworthiness, your unworthiness. Believe in the simple truth that with men it may be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We read in scripture, we find that Isaiah had a similar revelation. When he was drawn up to the throne room of God. In the presence of a holy God. See, when Isaiah got in the presence of a holy God, he saw his own unworthiness. He saw his own lack of resources. And though he had already begun his prophetic ministry, I want you to get this this morning. Isaiah was already a prophet. He had already began his prophetic ministry in Israel. His testimony at this point still in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5 was this. Woe is me, for I, the prophet... I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. Oh, I could preach to some of us today. Some of y'all let some unclean things come from those lips. Uh Uh-huh. I'm guilty too sometimes. Maybe not curse words, but I've been known to have a little road rage. (laughs) So if you see me calling somebody an idiot, just pray for me. No, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe not, but anyway. (laughs) Isaiah had already began his prophetic ministry. He was already a prophet in Israel. But Isaiah, when he got in the presence of God, I wish you could get this with me this morning. He realized, oh, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm living in the middle of a bunch of unclean people. But my eyes have seen the king. Boy, I wish we could get a glimpse of the king this morning. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He, here's what Isaiah was saying. We have all fallen short. Can I preach there for just a moment? I said we have all fallen short of the glory of God. This book tells us that there is none righteous. I hope I'm not busting any bubbles this morning. But there is none righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and the majesty of God. But no matter where we are in our walk with Christ, even if we're already active in a ministry, when we stand in the authentic presence of God, we should immediately recognize our own insufficiency, our own unworthiness. We should immediately realize that, oh, with me, with man, this is impossible. But oh, with God, all things are are possible. When we get in the presence of God, we should recognize 
our own unworthiness. That we don't have anything in comparison to him. And Isaiah probably felt like he had less than, than this little boy who took his lunch that day on the mountainside. Yet Isaiah began to hear the heart of God asking him in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6. He said, who will go for us? And despite knowing that he had very little by way of natural resources, he just cried out and he said, here am I, send me. Can I tell you that Isaiah believed with the Lord all things were possible. Isaiah believed that if he just took his little bit and put it in the hands of God, that the Lord in his compassion would multiply it to bless many. And didn't God do exactly that? I want to tell you, today we've been given an incredible vision through what the Lord showed the prophet Isaiah. Not only of time past and of time present, but also into the future. Looking that if we just take just the little that we have. Listen, I come to tell somebody today, you may feel like you don't have much to offer the Lord. You may feel like what you have is insufficient. You may feel unworthy most of the time. You may feel like nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody realizes just how bad you're struggling and how little you've got. But I want to tell you today, if you'll take just that little bit, though it seems insufficient to you, though you feel unworthy, if you'll take just that little bit and if you'll bring it and you'll offer it up to Jesus, Jesus will say, just give it to me. And together, you and I are going to do great things. Together, you and I are going to feed the people. I remember, I'm reminded this morning. Now, first of all, I mean, I'm not pastoring a mega church by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to tell you something. I remember laying on my face in my bonus room floor in the house that we sold last year. Upstairs, eight and a half years ago, crying my eyes out, filling the carpet with tears. And I remember saying, God, we don't have any money. We don't have a place to worship. We don't have anything. But God, here's what I got. And I'm bringing it to you. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I didn't even really want to do it. I kind of had to be kind of... The Lord had to kind of coerce me into doing it. But I remember coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I, this is what we got. But I'm just going to give it to you. And Sister Nancy, I've watched God take time and time again just that little bit that we bring to him. And he multiplies it. And then it's a little bit more. And then you bring it back to him and he multiplies it again. And then it's a little bit more. Oh, I remember when we were looking for a building and God called, uh, spoke to somebody and said, call up that pastor and tell him you'll offer him this building. I remember walking through it. It was nothing but a shell that had been burnt out on the inside. And I thought, my goodness, there's no way we can afford to renovate this. There's no way we can afford to do this. And, and that's what I told them. And you know what they told me? They said, Pastor Sean, we're not asking you to renovate this. We're going to build this to suit. We're going to renovate this for you and provide you a place to worship. We hadn't even been a church three months. But we gave God what we had. And God multiplied it. You're sitting here today because God took what we had and God said if you'll give it to me I'll bless it I'll multiply it oh and it ain't about the building but let me tell you what it is about it's about about 120 souls later 120 souls later added to the kingdom of God when you give it to God he'll bless it we used to sing a song in the old church it said little is much 
when God is in it. Oh, I feel that. Labor not for wealth or fame, for there's a crown, and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. I came to tell somebody this morning, you might think it's little, but if you'll give it to Jesus, he'll do great things with it. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. going to move quickly. The next story I want to talk to you about is found in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And in this story, the disciples were heading across the water when suddenly this storm arose. And you can picture them rowing and chatting and maybe perhaps even encouraging one another. But the wind and the waves continued to grow stronger until eventually the water began to fill the boat. See, it's not the storm outside the boat that'll sink you. It's the water that gets in the boat that'll sink you. By that point, these Disciples, they were not just first-time sailors or fishermen. They were very seasoned sailors and very seasoned fishermen. And they were convinced that they were about to go down. And in the midst of their despair, they awakened Jesus, who was asleep in the back of the boat. Now, here's what I want you to notice. They did not wake him up to pray. They did not even really wake him up to ask him for help. But they actually woke Jesus up to accuse him. Let's look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. Here's what they said. They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, I want to tell you something. Many of our prayers today are just like that. Many of the prayers that we pray to God are just like that. How many of you have prayed that way maybe in the last month or the last week or maybe even the last 24 hours? Possibly even this morning or last night. How many times have you prayed and said, Lord, do you not see what I'm going through? God, do you not care what I'm facing? God, are you not aware of the turmoil in my family? The war that's going on in my heart? The demonic powers that seem to be plotted and pitted against me? God, don't you care? But oh, here is what is so good about Jesus. Is that in spite of our accusations... Jesus cares. Somebody say amen. In spite of our accusations, Jesus cares. And when Jesus heard the cries of his disciples, he stood up in the boat. And with a spoken word, he calmed. The Bible said he calmed the winds and the waves. And then he turned to them. Let's look at verse 40 and see what he said. He said, why are you so afraid? How is it that you're one of mine and you don't have any faith? Hmm. Folks, why is it that many times we wait until the ship's going down before we cry out to God for the miracle? Many times we wait until the ship's going. How many times have you heard people say, we've tried everything we've known to, we know to try and all we can do now is pray? That's something we should never say in the church. The church ought to say, well, we've been praying, but we're still going to pray. We've been praying, we prayed some more, but guess what we're going to do now? We're going to pray again. We're going to believe God again. See, many times we wait until the ship's going down before we pray. There's two components here that are very important that I want you to get. We need to have faith. We also need to have trust. When you study the story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown in that fiery furnace, what did they say? They said, we know, O king, the God we serve is able to deliver us from the fire. What is that? That's faith. We know, O king, the God that we're serving, he's able to deliver us from the fire. That's faith. But they went on to say, but if he don't, 
we still ain't going to bow. That's trust. But if he don't, we're still going to serve him. That's trust. See, we've got to get If you want to see miracles in your life, you get to the place where you say, God, I know that you're able. I believe that you're able to do it. The God I serve, I know you're able. But God, even if you don't, I'm still going to praise you. Even if you don't, I'm still going to worship you. Even if you don't, God, I'm still going to be in church on Sunday morning, lifting my hands and thanking you for your goodness in my life. That's trust. You want to see miracles? you got to have faith and trust. I want to look at this last account this morning, this afternoon now, before we close. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 7. I want us to read verse 11 first. The word said, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. Now, here's what Nain means. Nain means a city of pleasantness and beauty. It was a place where many people desired to live because the promising future that it offered to them. Nain was a place that the widow and the poor and the oppressed could find solutions and answers to their problems. But, However, this city was suddenly turned into a place of hopelessness and despair. I want you to look at verse 12. And when he, he is Jesus, came near the gate of the city, behold... A dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So we know her husband had died, and now her only son had died. Watch this. And a large crowd from the city was with her. I want you to remember that. This woman had no husband. And she was carrying her only son out of the city. The son was her hope. It was her provision. It was her safety. It was her future. But now, he was gone. And she was not the only one who had lost hope. Because this tells us a large crowd from the city was with her. I want to tell you, today in the hour that we live in, our options for a safe and secure future are quickly running out. How many knows what I'm talking about? What we've been taught all of our lives is the American dream. And it is, thank God. In just a short while, if God doesn't do something in this nation, it's going to become the American nightmare. Folks, we need God more than we've ever needed Him before. And our hope and our future in our existence as a country is not looking... Whether you're saved or not, you know that. Even the skeptics uh, believe and and realize that. We are soon going to find ourselves in a situation just like the people who were gathered in name. And here's what I found. A lot of times, the down and out follow around with the down and out. The Bible said there was a large crowd with her. I think of all the single mothers who must be crying out to God today. Those who put their hopes in their sons and daughters and maybe in the city that they lived in or live in or the country that they live in, which once appeared to offer a promising future, but today that's an entirely different story. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought of, of somebody who was just a couple years older than me, a young lady, and many of you, if I were to call her name, would know who she was uh, from, from years ago. She was a young lady who was beautiful. She was a beauty queen. I mean, literally, she was in multiple beauty pageants, and uh, her mother and father were wealthy. Uh, she was given anything and everything she needed and wanted. And she had talent that she used for the Lord as a teenager. She was just a couple years older than me. But I want to tell you something. She started a little habit with alcohol. 
I'm going to lose about 50% of you right here. But that little habit that she began with alcohol grew into an addiction. And before long, that addiction had taken her captive. And that mama and daddy who were wealthy and who had done everything right and who raised her in church and who put her in every beauty pageant and she won most of them. They had all kinds of hope and they had all kinds of, you know what it's like for your children, all kinds of hope and all kinds of aspirations and all kinds of things about their future. But all they could do was watch as slowly but surely that disease, because that's what it is, and that addiction, because it's that as well, began to just eat away at her and it began to steal and deprive her of all the hope all the future that God had for her they sent her for the best treatment that money could possibly buy but still in her mid 40's just a couple years older than me she left this world and went out into eternity and that addiction you you say preacher why are you so passionate about that sometimes I want to tell you something some of y'all believe that you can uh, take a little sip every now and then you'll be okay I'm not going to argue with you but here's what I'm going to tell you you're looking at a boy who was raised by an alcoholic father and I I watched what alcoholism did to my daddy when he would beat my mother in front of me and then how it took his life at the age of 39 in an automobile accident when he was intoxicated and then I've watched it take a young lady that was gifted and was used of the Lord and was beautiful and had a future and had everything given to her and I watched that disease and that addiction eat away her at her until it ultimately destroyed her life I want to tell you something this morning I'm not going to argue with you about all of the little isms and schisms, but I will tell you this sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd go it'll make you stay longer than you ever thought you would stay and it will make you pay more than you ever intended to pay and all of those hopes and those aspirations for her were gone just like this widow in this story in Nain there was a deep cry from within her that God heard. I want you to notice something in verse 13. When the Lord saw her. Whew. Anybody in the house this morning besides me glad that the Lord saw you? When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep. I want you to notice something about this today. The mother, this mother, did not see him. Jesus was passing through. He was near the gate they were coming out of. But she didn't see him. She was too consumed by her own grief. She was too heartbroken to even notice he was there. But thank God Jesus saw her. Thank God that Jesus cares. Anybody glad that he cares this morning? Now he could have simply passed by and nobody would have ever known it. He could have just kept on going about his business but he couldn't just simply pass by because Jesus cares he hears the cry of the widow his own law says that he's the husband to the widow he's the father to the fatherless I know that to be true for myself and I want to tell you something it would have been outside of his character to have no compassion on her now let me say this to the church today if you call yourself part of the church if you can look at people and say they deserve what they got, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's not the character of Jesus. If you can look at people and say they're going to get what's coming to them, I don't care what they've done. That's not the compassion of Jesus. 
It would be unlike Jesus to not have had compassion on her. And it's unlike uh, Jesus for the church to not have compassion on folks. I don't care how many times you have to have compassion on them. Peter asked Jesus how many times? Seven times? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I forgive you for the same thing seven times, I'm a little wore out with you. Right? But what did Jesus tell Peter? No. Seventy times seven. Lord have mercy. I get more tired with counting to 490 than I do with just forgiving you. Just get over it and forgive you again. Right? That's the grace and the compassion of Jesus. So Jesus came in this story. I want you to see this story. And he came and he touched that casket. And those that were carrying that casket, the scripture said they stood still. 2 Chronicles 20 and 17 tells us to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, stop scurrying. Stop worrying. Do you hear your pastor this morning? Stop fretting. Stop wringing your hands about the future and saying, Oh, I just don't know what we're going to do. But just stand still. And come face to face with the one who went to a cross and said, when he went to that cross, you know what he said? He said, it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, you know what that meant? That meant the reign of hell, the reign of death, the reign of sin, the reign of poverty, the reign of sickness. That is all over and done with. It is finished. So what Jesus said in this story to this young man in Luke chapter 7 and verse 14. He said, young man, I say to you. Y'all say it. Arise. Arise. This speaks to me of that deepest part of death that's trying to work in our lives sometimes. You know the deepest part of our heart. The deepest struggles. The deepest places we go when all of our resources have failed. And just as Jesus did in name. I want to tell you this morning. He's come to stop that parade of death in you. He wants to put his hand on that deep struggle and that fear. And here's what he wants to say. Get up. That's what arise means. Get up and live. See, the scripture says that the young man then set up. That's what the word said. He, now, you talk about, you think some of us Pentecostals are weird. Would you like to have been there for that? He said, he set up and he began to speak. That's what the word said. I'm not a big studier of the Greek, but I did find this very interesting. The Greek word for speak in this text is laleo. And that is a word that is attributed to the speech of God. So not only did he speak, what he spoke was the speech of God. It's the same word that was used in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 where it says God has in the last days, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, spoken to us by his Son. Now we can, we can conclude from this passage of scripture that this boy got up and he began to speak right things. He didn't just begin to speak, but he began to speak the right things. His priorities were right. His conversation was right. And he began to speak as a mouthpiece of God. And the Bible says that after this, great fear came upon the people of Nain. Somebody said, I know that's right. They got scared when they saw what happened. But you know what else happened? That city of weeping. That city of no hope. That city where a parade of death and hopelessness was coming out to bury the dead. That same city, whoo, hear me this morning, suddenly began to glorify God. And when they began to glorify God, the report of that spread and it went to all 
the nations around them. It went to all the people around them. What are you saying, Pastor? This morning I'm saying when the dead come in, and some, uh, some this morning are sitting here with dead things in your heart, but when the dead come into this place, spiritually dead, spiritually dry and void on the inside, spiritually bankrupt, when they come into this place and they have a genuine, authentic encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and Jesus speaks into their heart and says, Get up and live. When they begin to get up and become who they are and who they were created to be in Jesus, when they begin to take what little bit they've got that some of y'all even thought was insignificant and they begin to offer it to Jesus and they get up and Jesus takes it and uses it, I want to tell you what happens. People around the city begin to say, Whoa, wait a minute. What happened to them? What happened to them, Brittany? When you you gave your testimony on Facebook that the treatment was over and the cancer was gone, I want to tell you, there was some skeptics saying, whoa, more happened there than just what the doctor intended. There's power in prayer. And when God's people pray and we take what we have and put it in the hands of Jesus, He will use it for His glory. Just as Jesus spoke to the boy who was dead, I'm telling you, today He wants to speak to some of us and say, get up. Get up. But folks, here... Here's the ultimate thing. That's our choice. Only you and I can make that choice. We can choose to live or we can choose to stay dead. We can choose to simply say, there's just no strength in me. There's no life left in me. There's too many wounds. I'm too hurt. There's no hope in me. I'm just empty in this area of my life. We can make the choice to stay there if we want. Or, like Philip did, we can reach into the money bag. And we can conclude, no, the need's too great. The resources are too little. We can't do this. And you can settle, essentially, for living outside the kingdom of God on this earth if you want. But I ask you this morning, why should we do this? Why should we do this? Why should you make your life available to go through the battle with the darkness? What's the point? Folks, if heaven is your ultimate goal, the only answer today as they come to the music is this. Jesus cares. I said Jesus cares. He cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about this city. In this community. He cares about the people around us who otherwise are going into eternity without him. He cares about those. Listen to me this morning. He cares about those who are going to church hungry and leaving starving. He cares cares about you and thanks be to God he cares about me I wonder if there's anybody in the house with me this morning that can testify I'm so glad Jesus cares anybody can anybody testify this morning I'm so glad Jesus cares folks if we could just understand this if we could just have the courage to call out to a God who can do the impossible 
I want to ask you, are you willing to do that today? You can do as the disciples did. You can look around at the great need around you. You can check your pockets, your measly little resources. And you can do like that little boy who said, I think I'm just going to take this and give it to Jesus. <laughs> some of y'all are with me, but some of you ain't getting what I'm saying. And I need you to get it this morning. There's all kinds of needs here. Ten to 15,000 to be exact. And all I've got is five little loaves and two little fishes. But there's a man in this room today. His name is Jesus. And I don't know. They tell me he can do anything. They tell me he can do the impossible. And so I think I'm just going to take what little bit I got and offer it to Jesus. Because it's worth more in the hands of Jesus than it's worth in my hands. It's worth more when I offer it to Jesus than it is when I hold it back to myself. Because when I hold it back to myself, not only is it just enough that leaves me hungry, nobody else gets any benefit out of it either. But I've heard about this Jesus, and a lot of people tell me, what I've got's insignificant. What I've got won't meet the needs of the crowd. But I don't know. I'm just crazy enough to believe if I'll just take it and offer it up to Jesus and say, God, this is what I've got. Will you take it and will you use it for your glory? Oh, and that little boy, he took what he had and he said, Jesus, what can you do with this? If you'll stand with me all over this room today, every head bowed and every eye closed, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, and please, no, no moving around if you don't have to. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there are people that are sitting here in this room. And you think, no, not today, preacher. No, not, not yet. Not yet. Wait, wait just a minute. See, in your mind, somehow you've got it figured out that you've got to straighten yourself up. You've got to clean your life up. You've got to do this or you've got to do that. No, Jesus is saying, I want you to take what you might even consider to be a mess. And I want you to just bring it and offer it to me. Church, I want you to pray. If you're in this room today and you're saved, would you just begin to pray? I want to talk to some people for just a minute. I want you to understand that this world will tell you what you have is insignificant. This world will tell you that what you have is not of benefit to anybody. But I just want to challenge you this morning. If you'd just be brave enough, if you'd just be bold enough to say, God, I, 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 hear, I hear what this preacher's saying today, and I'm going to take what I've got. Lord, it may not be much, but I'm going to take it, and I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to offer it up to you. Because I want to tell you something this morning. When you give it to Jesus, He'll use it for His glory. He'll use it for His glory. And I believe, folks, I believe there's a great touch of God that's coming to this generation. And it's not going to come through the way a lot of people think. It's not coming by no big name preacher. It's not coming with no impressive resume, no big ministry, or no PhDs. What's, what's going to turn around this city, what's going to turn around this country, is young men, women, boys, and girls who simply say, God, I don't have much. But what I have, I'm going to bring it to you today.